From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. Bowl season is once again upon us, and for the Gators, it's another chance to challenge a familiar foe from the Big Ten. Florida and Iowa will meet for the fourth time in a bowl game on January 2nd, and today we've got an Outback Bowl preview featuring senior defensive lineman Joey Ivey, the voice of the Gators, Mick Hubert, and FloridaGators.com senior writers Scott Carter and Chris Harry. Let's get it started by hearing from a Gator whose college career has featured the kind of adversity and heartache you wouldn't wish on your worst enemy but whose strength in the face of immense pain should serve as an inspiration to all. Before delving into his deeply personal journey, we started our conversation with senior defensive lineman Joey Ivey by finding out how the Gators bounced back emotionally after falling to Alabama in the SEC championship game. Well, obviously, when you have a big loss like that, you're going to have a lot of heartbroken guys, especially a lot of the older guys than others, their last chance to win a championship. But it's great to see that we've built this program and we made it to an SEC championship two years in a row. So it's definitely headed in the right direction. There's a lot of younger guys who have a lot of potential, and it's exciting to see how this program flourishes the next couple of years. Uh, we're, you know, we're moving on to the bowl game and taking it one day at a time. A lot of people have said that that Alabama team you played may be the best one that Saban's ever had. You've played them three straight years. I'm curious from a firsthand perspective, where do they stack up? I personally don't think it's the best they've ever had. Um, defensively, I think they had an amazing defense. Um, but I felt like their offense last year was more dominant. Hmm. You know, obviously they had a dominant running back. I felt like the O-line was better last year. There's so much downtime after the end of the season and then leading into the bowl game. What have you guys been doing in, in this long period between the SEC title game and then going down to, to Tampa? Well, there have, been, there have been workouts and runs, but a lot of people have really been focusing on final exams and stuff. So they kind of gave us a little bit of a break um, to relax, you know, work out here and there and, uh, and run. Um, at the end of the day, it's your personal responsibility to stay in shape. You're still doing the same thing you were doing. You're able to go out there and play full speed and compete. You don't want to be a guy that comes out there and is out of shape Mm -hmm. and looks out of whack, you know. If we can talk about your family a little bit and and your background, can you tell us where you grew up and and what your parents did? Yeah, so I was born in Tampa, Florida, actually uh, right across the street from the Buck Stadium. Hmm. So truly going back home. Yeah, (laughs) and moved all around, Uh, lived in Dade City, moved to Lakeland. So I'm I'm one of five. Mm -hmm. Uh, My sister, she uh, passed away. Um, so there's four of us now, but both my parents were military. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom, um, had some military, uh, things happen and she was a stay at home mom. And my dad, he was going to school while trying to raise all of us and work a job. So we lived in Lakeland. He went to school there and then we moved to Virginia oh, and wow. he finished up school in Virginia at Regent university and then moved down to Stark, Florida. And my dad actually planted a church. But the church, it, was, it only had a, a certain amount of members for a, a period of time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was just really, really hard financially for to have that big of a family and to have a church and do all those different things. There was just a lot of personal things going on. So my dad actually started, he became a chaplain. And we moved to Dade City. 
he started off in, pri- in a prison, and uh, he was he was a chaplain at a couple places. And um, <clears throat> that's why I did my high school. went to Pasco High in Dade City. It's like a suburb of Tampa, mm-hmm. um, probably like 20, 30 minutes from Tampa. And um, he ended up getting a job towards, like, me going to college in Winter Haven as a head chaplain at the Winter Haven Hospital. Now he oversees two hospitals. But uh, anyways, my parents live in Winter Haven now, and um, you know, college went by quick. Just mm-hmm. just like, you know, you're a senior in high school, and you're like, wow, that went by real fast. And now I'm a senior in college, and I'm like, wow, that went by fast. <laughs> you know, Life moves quick, mm-hmm. and for those who are listening, you, there's younger guys in the audience. you got to take advantage of everything you have um, from the get-go. You had offers from a lot of different schools. I think almost yeah. 25 schools. Yeah. What made Florida the, the right place for you? So when the recruiting started, I know I really Miami was really one of my first Florida schools I offered. And I really liked Miami. I really wasn't even honestly a huge Gator fan. I just liked them because my grandpa- my grandparents went here. And um, I was pretty open to everything. But because of my relationship with my dad and uh, what it meant to him, you know, be a Gator, it kind of like when I got offered here, it, he was more excited, I felt like, than, than I was. Um, <laughs> you know, so – I feel like he did a little recruiting himself for Florida mm-hmm. to me, but he also felt like it was a good position for me to be in. He's like, you know, Joey, this is perfect for you. I mean, I'm looking at the guys who are leaving, the guys you can learn from, this and this and this. And I decided to commit to Florida pretty early, and I th- it was a great decision. Um, it didn't go as well as I had planned uh, championship-wise and mm-hmm. coaching-wise, but I feel like I'm blessed to be where I'm at today. Not a lot of guys make it to their senior year. A lot of guys either transfer out, and not a lot of guys get the opportunity to play in the National Football League. And not a lot of guys have made it to an SEC championship. You know, I've been to two of them. Might not have turned out the best way possible. But it was a blessing to be in both of those games. But, yeah, I closed off my, my recruiting uh, pretty pretty early. I remember Coach Rump, he was at Alabama, and they were recruiting me. And I remember he came to my high school twice. And um, I remember him sitting in my coach's office and, you know, it's crazy to think you meet somebody and you'd never think you'd ever play for them. And mm-hmm. there you go. I'm playing for uh, Coach Rump, um, which was a blessing as well. I mean, he came. He's, he's a great mentor, a great coach. And, you know, any guy who gets to get coached by him, you know, is lucky. You have a pretty remarkable outlook for someone who's gone through some of the things you've gone through. And I guess by far the most significant of all of that was the, the loss of your sister. Yeah. So you mentioned a little bit earlier, but can you just – for people that don't know that part of the story, mm-hmm. can you take us through what happened and, and sort of where your family went from there? Yeah, so I just remember I was leaving from a workout, and I was about to get on my scooter, and my mom calls me, and she's, like, crying. I'm like, Mom, what's wrong? And she's like, Joey, Jordan got in a horrible accident. I don't know if she's going to make it. And in my head, I'm like, my mom's just exaggerating. You know, it's just a, you know, a motherly thing to exaggerate. And so I freaked out, and I uh, called my roommate. I didn't have a car at the time. I called my roommate up. I'm like, bro, can I borrow your car? And I get there, and all my family's there. And uh, I just remember going in the room and just, like, just, you know, just the looks on everybody's faces. And, like, I was just in my head. I'm just like, this can't be real. And um, the doctor told us that she hit her head so hard that – the swelling was so high and the pressure in her head was so high that there's a high, high chance of her not making it and that they were going to have to do an emergency surgery. So how it happened was she was, there was like a senior skip day and she was with her boyfriend at the time and um, he's a real immature kid. He had a, he has a Mustang 
and um, he liked to go fast in it. And my little brother told me he'd always warned him, don't drive fast while my sister's in the car. And I guess, you know, he didn't buy into that. And he, they were on a, a small road, Smith Road, like down the road, literally uh, two miles from my house. And it's a small, short road. They were going up a hill. And another car was coming up. And I guess because he was going so fast, he freaked out and kind of sk- turned right a little bit. And then over, and then when he turned left, he overcorrected and ran right into a tree. And um, paramedics got there. They said that she had a smile on her face. Um, and so um, I thought that was pretty because she had she had a strong faith. Um, you know, a lot of us kind of um, struggled with our faith here and there, but mm-hmm. you know she had a real strong faith. So it was kind of difficult to to see how such an amazing girl with such a strong faith that this some like this some some tragedy like this could happen she's the kind of girl that if a kid at school was sitting by himself and had no friends she would go sit next to him she i i there was probably five different people that came to our house and just bawled and cried and hugged my parents saying that my sister was the reason why they didn't commit suicide you know that's that's one thing about her was just how she treated people and how sweet she was to people and um it breaks my heart just to see what my parents go through and my uh, see what my little brothers go through. But, you know, it was just difficult to deal with that. And I, but I just knew as the oldest I wanted to be there for my, my parents. So um, it took a huge toll on me. But I was just like, you know, all this stuff is going on. I'm going to be here for my parents. But I got to get back and get to football because I know that's what my sister would want. And mm-hmm. I know, you know, she was a huge fan of mine. She was – you know, she came to all my games. She, from high school to college, she loved to um, support me. And, um, you know, that that was one huge thing for me is to get back and uh, continue to get to work, um, you know, last year and uh, continued on to this year. So, you know, it's, it's, it's been, a, it's been a, a long time since she passed away. But my parents said it um, not too long ago, but it, it is, it's like a permanent amputation um, that you you have to deal with. But staying positive and staying strong and you know having that belief that you're going to see her again is what kind of gets my parents through each day each and every day so at this point there's a lot going on with your family and and there's a lot on your shoulders as well what place does football take in that is is it hard to focus on football after this happens or does football Mm. become a, a refuge of sorts it became a refuge it became a way to play for her in a way, because of how much she loved it, um, it was hard to focus for a while. But it's part of growing up, and um, it's part of just being mentally strong. Is just regathering your thoughts, and focusing, and and pressing forward, and not letting something hold you back. Because I know she wouldn't want it to hold me back, and I know it would hurt my parents if it held me back. So the only thing I could do to make things right, make things better, was to keep pressing forward and do do the best I can do and try to become the best football player I can become. You mentioned your brother earlier. So he comes here. you got two yeah. Ivies on the roster. And then he has to take a medical hardship and end his football career. Yeah. So let's get around now to your senior day. You mm-hmm. run out of the tunnel. And most people run out by themselves. Yeah. And they go meet their family. You run out with your arm right around your brother. Yeah. Why was that important to you, and, and what did that mean? So in the locker room, I'm like, I'm asking everybody, like, you know where Andrew is? Where's Andrew? Like, I didn't have my phone. I'm like, can someone get Andrew? And, and I'm like, dang, where's my brother? So I go in line, and then I'm like, all right, well, I guess I'm going to 
walking by myself, and I, I see Andrew. I'm like, Andrew. And I'm like, bro, I need you to walk with me. And the reason why I did that is because I knew he wasn't going to be able to play football anymore. But I wanted him to know that, you know, this senior day, it was very important for me because I felt like he was a huge part in my success and to where I'm at today and that, you know, wherever I go and wherever football brings me success-wise, I want him to know that I'm always going to love him and he's always going to, you know, be part of the reason why I got to this success because, you know, we grew up sharing a room our whole entire lives. I didn't have my own room until I got to college. (laughs) So uh, it was just a special moment and, when I got out there and saw my family, they kind of choked up because they saw you know, every game I write, my sister's name on my wrist. And um, it choked them up to see that. And, um, you know, it really motivated me to play really hard. You know, that was one game I won't forget. I think I had two sacks. And um, it was all together like four TFLs. It's so a good day. It was a pretty good day on the field. But at the end of the day, I feel like I'm blessed to be where I'm at. And I'm thankful for every opportunity and everything I've had at this university. And I've come a long way. Over your time here, I'm curious, which individual or individuals had the biggest impact on you and mentoring you? And then who have you passed that on to? I would say mentoring-wise. You know, guys like Dante Fowler, like when I came in, we were roommates for a little while. He was a great dude. Um, you know, he kind of always motivated me and pushed me and said, Joe, you're just going to keep getting better. He's like, I know you have the time. I know you could do this and that. You just got to put your head to it. But I wouldn't say there was one distinct uh, mentor that I had. I, I feel like I just kind of like took a little bit from everybody and kind of developed it on my own. You mentioned Senior Day being a, a, a big moment for you. Are there other games or plays that stand out over your four-year career? I think the game this year that I'll never forget from my senior season was the LSU game. We had that goal line stop. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was unbelievable. At LSU, that was the best feeling in the world. And then my junior year when I had three six sacks against uh, East Carolina, that was a really fun game. But that year, that when we came back against Tennessee, that was unbelievable. So probably the Tennessee game and then the LSU game this year. Those are my two favorite games. You talked about continuing football at the next level, and, and this has been a, a really big year for you to help do that. You've gotten yeah. a lot of attention from the NFL yeah. for having such a big senior season. What do you think has allowed you to have so much success this year? Just continuing to learn and develop, especially learning the game. I've really been able to learn, break down an offense, and really understand what the offense, like what kind of offense we're up against. Um, you know, understanding the defense better. I never really had a problem with plays or anything, but I think it's just the concept of the whole defense and the concept of an offense you play against. Per working off the field, get your workouts in, get your runs in, and um, stay mentally in it all the time. Each year I've learned something valuable. You know, I came as a DN, moved inside, was an end in a three-tech, moved to three-tech last year, played mainly nose this year. Um, so I moved all around. Mm-hmm. But I think it's just the gradual development of paying attention to all the little details and understanding the things that are going on. As you get through the bowl game, what are the next steps for you that, that you can foresee right now? Just to stay focused. I accepted the East and West Shrine Bowl, which is on the 21st in St. Petersburg. Hmm. Um, Everything's close to home. Yep. So that would be nice. And then after that, I'm going to jump into a training uh, resume where, you know, I just continue to stay in shape, work out, and get myself ready for a pro day or combine. Um, You know, I'm passionate about this sport, Mm -hmm. and I want to develop into a player that can have a good career in the National Football League. 
Speaking of passionate guys, your defensive coordinator, Jeff Collins, just accepted the head coaching job at Temple. Mm -hmm. What have you seen in your two years working with him that's going to make him successful as as a head coach? His love for the game, his love for the players. He looks at everybody the same on the defense. You know, he shows love to everybody. Like I say, he's a passionate guy, man. He's going to do his best. He's going to put in the extra hours to, to try to help that team succeed. I'm happy for him, man. Anytime an assistant coach gets a head coaching job, that's amazing. You know, I, I wish him the best of luck, and people will miss him. But, you know, at the same time, they're going to be happy for the opportunity that he has. So the big question is, does Money Down continue without Coach Collins? I hope it continues. I hope it does. Uh, it's pretty funny to see those guys on the side screaming. We have the two equipment guys screaming Money mm-hmm. Down. It's it's pretty funny um, to see them do that at practice every day and even in the games. We see the, the DBs dance a lot. They yeah. they have the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Are you ever tempted to start moving a little bit out there when they when they get grooving in the music yeah i'm pretty tempted you know i got a few (laughs) moves here and there i've gotten to show them off uh let's talk about the outback bowl one of the things that people have noted about iowa is that they've got an unbelievable offensive line Mm -hmm. uh some have said it's the best in the country what kind of challenge does that present to you and your unit and what have you seen from them man i love it i love the opportunity to go against the best of the best um you know, elite competition, um, it it, bring, it really shows who's who's the best at the end of the day. I think it's great for our unit. I think it's a, you know, I think it's a great matchup for our unit. Uh, we got a great defensive line. We got a great front. We got great linebackers. Uh, you know, I, I'm I'm interested to see how it play out. I'm excited and I'm happy to see two elite um, lines go against each other. Bringing this all full circle, your final game, as you said, right next to where you grew up a chance to go out and kind of rectify what was a tough bowl performance last year. There's a lot at stake here, not just for the team, but for you in particular. Just talk about this Outback Bowl and what it's going to mean. It's going to be a lot. Uh, First off, it's my last game. So uh, emotionally, it's going to be a lot uh, because I know it's the last time I'll be able to put on that orange and blue and and, uh, play Florida football that I've loved uh, these last four years. It's going to be a lot as well because I know it's going to be my last time playing with a lot of these guys that we grew kind of, we really grew up together basically I mean mm-hmm. grew up as in you know we've developed into men all together and we've been through a lot coaching changes especially a lot of the older guys and it's it's gonna really like last year when we lost to Michigan that really took a toll on us and you know it it, it sucks to end the season like that so um if you can go out with a win I feel like that's the best way to enter the 2017 season We mentioned right at the start of today's show that Florida and Iowa are familiar foes during bowl season. And to help extrapolate on that history and gain some perspective on what to expect on January 2nd, we sat down with Mick Hubert to get his take. Yeah, this will be the fourth meeting between these uh, two teams, all in the bowls, and they've all been in Florida. And, uh, you know, we, we have a record of 2-1 and one against them right now. The, the last time we played them was, uh, you know, in the, after the 05 season, which was uh, January of 06. It was technically the 06 Outback Bowl. We beat them 31-24. It had just been two years before that, after the 03 season, in the January 04 game that, that we played them, and they beat us 37-17. And that was the first time that I had seen the number of people that they bring down. They may bring down 15,000 fans. 
Uh, it's a humongous section, cheering section that they'll have, and they whipped us pretty good. We had beaten them back in the 80s in the Gator Bowl, 14-6 to in the very first meeting. So uh, this this will be an interesting matchup and uh, is our fifth uh, appearance in the Outback Bowl. I, I like the game. I mean, obviously, you're always wanting to be in a better game all the time, mm. but I really like the Outback Bowl, the, the people that run it and uh, the facility, and uh, there's so many Gators in the Tampa area, and uh, it just it's a, it's a great day when you're in that bowl game. So I look forward to doing the Outback Bowl when, when we have that opportunity. And also, you know, for Florida, it's a big opportunity to kind of break out of this late-season malaise, and we saw last year and everyone was disappointed about the you know the 0 3 finish to the year and, and you're trying to avoid the same thing now so a lot of times these games may not mean that much but it seems like at this particular time for this Florida team this is a pretty meaningful game I really think it is uh, you know with with the playoffs now and the, the final four those are the big games and the, the rest are kind of thrown aside as kind of exhibitions uh, but each team has their own motivation for it and I found over the years that basically you have one team that really wants to be there mm-hmm. and the other team that after they get there, they realize they don't really want to be here. They may they may think they want to get there. Then when they get there that day, they go, you know what? The gifts were nice, but we're not really excited. We've had a good this. time. We're just going <laughs> to mail it in today. And so you, you might get a lopsided game. It's not impossible, but it's rare. When you get both teams really playing hard, they got something to play for, those are some great bowl games. And I think what makes this big is because we are the Florida Gators and we are playing in the state of Florida, and it's great that we have our home state advantage. But on the other hand, sometimes our players think, you know what, it's just another game. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, whereas you come from Iowa, where the temperature right now, you know, is is freezing or, or below zero, as, it, as the case has been through some parts of December here. Uh, they're looking to, to come down and enjoy the weather. The Gators will go down there right, you know, the week of the game. Mm-hmm. And Iowa will come down before Christmas and spend probably two weeks in, in the state. They'll use it as a recruiting thing. And their players will get back. They'll get all limbered up and juiced up, and they'll be like they're playing a game back in Iowa City in September that's what they'll feel like they know they're going to play a Florida school in in, in a Florida bowl and there's a great motivation great incentive for the Big Ten teams to come down to Florida and and beat the SEC but particularly beat the Florida Gators in the state of Florida so while we have advantages by playing here we also are a little disadvantaged sometimes Uh, sometimes our people say ah I don't know if that game's big enough for me to go watch, but I can assure you the people in Iowa mm-hmm. are looking forward to coming down to, to Tampa on January 2nd to watch this bowl game. And as you alluded to, uh, we've got to avoid a third straight loss for the second consecutive season. You know, in, in Coach McElwain's first year, we, we had a great year, and, uh, you know, we were off to that 10-1 and one start and then lost the last three. But in the first 11 games, we're sitting there at 10-1, and one, and now over these last 15 games, we're at eight and seven. So if we don't win this game, it's eight and eight over the last 16 games with a pair of three game of losing streaks. So I don't view this as, a, as, as an exhibition at all. I view this as, a, as the first game of 2017, which it is, even though it's the tail end of this past year. I think it's a huge game and uh, I just hope our guys are, are ready to play. I know they'll be well coached, ready to go, but uh, you know, sometimes you just never know until you wake up that day mm-hmm. if this is the day you really want to get out there and do it. And so I hope that we do. Uh, because we've had some great bowl performances over the years in games that have not been for the national championship. So uh, I hope that we can play a good one, and I think uh, there's enough guys on this team that played last year and realized we probably went through the motions a little bit, and it was a hungry Michigan team with Jim Harbaugh Mm -hmm. come down there, and they matched us. I mean, it was 41-7. They got rather embarrassing toward the end, so we want to avoid that. The SEC Big Ten matchup, it seems to happen a lot, especially to Florida, not just 
the Iowa matchups, but you mentioned last year Michigan, a few years before that Penn State, Ohio State. We do see this a lot. So I know there's the, the typical stereotypes about what each league tends to present and what the makeup of one of those teams is like. But from your standpoint, what consistent thread runs through these matchups when Florida faces off against the Big Ten? Well, I think you basically you see comparably matched teams, and I think this year is no exception. Because we're so close to the situation, we see all, all the warts and all the wrinkles that we've had this year. And you can see statistically we're ranked 115th nationally in offense. But you go look at Iowa, and they're sitting there at 120th on offense. Mm-hmm. So uh, they've, they've had their own share of struggles. Uh, so I think these teams are pretty well balanced. Uh, both have very good defenses. Uh, you know, Kirk Ferentz is, is Iowa football. I mean, what he has done in succeeding Hayden Fry, I mean, he's been there a long, long time now. So, uh, you know, he's got this program rolling. And it was just uh, uh, last year they went to the Big Ten championship game. Uh, he came up inches short of winning that inches game. Inches short, yeah. And, you know, he's four-time the uh, Big Ten Coach of the Year during his tenure there at Iowa. So it's a quality program with, with quality guys. And uh, it's interesting in Iowa. I don't know how many they have on their roster, probably 100, 105, like most schools. They have 51 players from the state of Iowa. Oh, wow. So it's really huh. a, a locally driven team for the most part. So, you know, it, it is that Big Ten pride against the SEC. And uh, I don't really recall any one of these games where we've matched them, at least in my tenure, where one team has been so much better than the other. I mean, the last time we were here in Tampa in the 2010 season, which was January of 2011, that bowl game, that we beat Penn State in a one-touchdown game, turned out to be Joe Paterno's last game. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, we had played Penn State in 1997, but that was Fred Taylor ran for about 230 yards in Orlando in that game, and that was another tight battle with Penn State. And we were able to beat, I think, Ohio State by a touchdown in the Gator Bowl a few years back when, when Will was here. So they've been some very competitive games, and I would imagine this would be the same way. Last year's game was kind of an anomaly, really, where one team dominated the other. So I'm hoping this this will be a good, tight, physical game that uh, maybe we can break out offensively. This is going to be the 43rd bowl game that Florida's played in all time. 21 wins, 21 losses. So something's got to give here. Most people remember the bowl games that are for championships. They remember the Sugar Bowl against Florida State. They remember being out in Arizona against Ohio State. Of those other games, this is one of those other games, do any of them stand out to you as, as providing really memorable moments in, in Florida football lore? I, I remember one going back to the, the Gator Bowl back in the early 90s. It was called the Fog Bowl, played North Carolina State, and the fog rolled in off the river. And, uh, you know, it, when it first happens, it's kind of cool. And you're playing, and you can see the fog up in the lights a little bit. And as the fog sank lower and lower and lower, you realize this is not going away anytime soon. And it got to be where I couldn't even see hardly the players on the field. I had to, I had to watch off the television monitor and the television had to use field-level cameras. They couldn't shoot high up. They had to be on a ground-level stuff. Huh. That's how thick the fog was. So I remember that game. The Gators did win that one, as I mentioned. The next year, I think I think it was 93, we went over the Sugar Bowl and beat an undefeated West Virginia team. It was coached by Don Nalen, one of the great coaches there. And uh, uh, they were undefeated, as I said, and we beat them 41-7. to So we had a pretty good team. That was right as we were getting going. Uh, the best would be yet to come for that, that group in the Spurry area back in the 90s. So, you know, we had a game against uh, Maryland down in the Orange Bowl. I think it was 2001. That was probably the best team Florida ever had that didn't win a title mm-hmm. with Rexy playing a quarterback. And we, we just mashed Maryland. I think it was 56 to 23 or something like that. And that was the game that I referred to. We, we made turtle soup out of the Terrapins. <laughs> you know, so that was a big win. No question about that. 56 points against them. 
And uh, as I said, the Fred Taylor game over in Orlando against Penn State was, was big. That was the year in which Fred, I think, rushed for 600 yards over the last three games. Oh. And we really got you – know, the fun and gun really became kind of a smash mouth toward the mm-hmm. end with, with Fred Taylor really taking off at the, the end of his senior season. So I, I remember that. And, uh, you know, in, in this particular uh, matchup with uh, Iowa, uh, we happened to play them 11 years ago to the day. On January 2nd of 2006, we beat them 31-24 right here in the Outback Bowl. And I do remember the very first series, Tremaine McCullum blocked a punt and picked it up and ran it in six yards for a score. We went up 7 to nothing, and we never trailed. We went up 17 to nothing in that game. And uh, Dallas Baker, the touchdown maker, caught two TD passes from Chris Leak. And we rolled them in that game, and it just happens to be just 11 years ago to mm-hmm. the day when we played Iowa in that game. So those are a few of the games that stand out to me, of course, that were uh, non-national championship bowl games. I know a lot of fans are, are hoping there's a little bit of an offensive breakout in this game to sort of set the tone going forward. Reading the tea leaves from what you've seen all year, if there is going to be a, a big performance or someone who makes a statement, who do you think that might be? Well, I, I think this, that we have got to run the football. That's just an old coaching cliche, but we we have got to run the football, and it's never been more truer right now at this point in my mind since the last time we played a game we had zero yards rushing. Did not gain a positive rushing yard because, you know, in college football, the rushing yardage is detracted by the sack total. Mm-hmm. So against Alabama, the SEC championship game, Florida had zero yards rushing. So we, we've got to do better than that. In fact, you know, in seven of our 12 games this year, we've rushed for less than 110 yards. So we are sitting there rushing right now at 110th nationally. So uh, we, we've got to be able to run the ball because that, that opens things up. I mean, that's just fundamentally sound football. You, you open your play-action passes, you do other things. And, you know, for Austin Appleby, getting a chance to play against a Big Ten team. I mean, here's a Big Ten quarterback mm-hmm. from Ohio that played at Purdue, grew, grew up in Ohio, played at Purdue, and now he's playing against Iowa. I mean, he should have a, a sense of comfort. Sure, in the right fact at home. That, you know, I can beat Iowa, you know. So hopefully he'll have a, he'll have a nice game in, in what will be his final game as a, as a Gator in this final season. Uh, you know, I mentioned Florida running the football, and I, I think that's very important. And yet the Gators, as we said, about 115th in total offense, Iowa worse. And yet I look at Iowa and I go, wow. I mean, they've got two guys that are going to rush for 1,000 yards this year. I mean, uh, Akram Wadley is sitting there with 34 yards to go to reach 1,000, and the other guy, LaShawn Daniels, has over 1,000. So uh, this is going to be the first pair of Iowa running backs in school history to rush for 1,000 yards in the same season. So they're going to be able to pound the ball, and their quarterback – has been very serviceable. In fact, I say that in terms of just looking at the record. He's 21-6 and six as a starter. Uh, and, and, you know, while he hasn't been, uh, you know, all Big Ten, uh, he's, been a, he's been a solid guy. He's a senior. So uh, yeah, that's kind of what Iowa has done, and, and that's kind of what uh, Michigan has done in all the other years. You look at them, you don't get overly impressed sometimes at their offense, and yet their quarterback goes out there and doesn't throw any interceptions, doesn't make any mistakes, everything's on rhythm. You go, wow, has he played like that all year? I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know that, he, that they have, but I know that I've, I've seen enough of the Big Ten quarterbacks that on paper they don't do anything that impresses you, and you get out there and you watch him play, and you go, wow. They're out there, and they're helping their team. And I, I just hope in C.J. Beathard we can get to him a little bit and, and, and rattle him. He's only thrown seven picks all year. And the other thing about the turnovers is the fact that Iowa leads the nation. They've only lost two fumbles all year. So these two backs, LaShawn Daniels. As much as they run the ball, they've only lost two fumbles. Yeah, LaShawn Daniels and Akram Wadley going to rush for 1,000 yards apiece. 
with two lost fumbles on the year. They run it 62% of the time, so we can't let them run crazy, nor can we let them, because they're running pretty well, affect us in the passing game. You know, so and we've got to be able to get something going ourselves, because I don't know that we can just uh, line up and have Appleby throw 40 passes and expect to win the game, and he has thrown a bunch of passes here in the last couple of games, because we haven't been able to win. He threw 35 against uh, FSU, and he threw 39 against Alabama. When you're throwing that many, you're usually trying to play catch-up. It's a classic storyline when the SEC clashes with the Big Ten. Two contrasting styles with one conference declaring a decisive philosophical victory after the dust settles. We talked about the matchup with Scott Carter and Chris Harry, and they don't expect that familiar angle to change. The SEC speed and quickness against the mm-hmm. Big Ten's bulk and the power. And, you know, it's, we're going to hear that again because Iowa's offensive line named the best offensive line in the country, uh, the Jim Moore Award, which, you know, caught me a little off guard since Alabama was the other finalist. So Beat on Alabama and Ohio State, yeah, which so, says a lot. Uh, so they run the ball well. Uh, they got one of the best defensive backs in the country in Desmond King. This was a guy who was a uh, Thorpe finalist last season. Uh, you know, he's going to be a high pick in the NFL draft coming up. Um, and Kurt Ferentz seems like he's been there forever. So uh, – some familiarity there between the programs, the bowl, and the, you know, it should be both teams 8-4, and four, ranked 20 and 21st in the country. Pretty even matchup, looks like. Just calling it like it is, it ain't going to be a shootout, fellas. You're talking about the 115th ranked offense of Florida against the 120th ranked offense wow. of Iowa. But obviously, like Scott pointed to, Iowa's going to try to run the ball and do it that way. And this is a team that beat Michigan and knocked Michigan out of the national championship hunt. So it's certainly a quality opponent that Florida is going to have to acquit itself nicely against. Yeah, they kind of turned their season around. you got to remember, this was a team that lost to North Dakota State. North Dakota State. And in fairness, North Dakota State yeah. is Excellent. pretty good. The power. Yeah, yeah. Huge anytime, power. anytime, you know, an FCS school beats mm-hmm. a, a Power 5 conference like Appalachian State beat Michigan a few years ago, it generates national headlines. Sure. That happened in this case. But as Chris said, Iowa certainly redeemed uh, itself later in the year with that huge win against Michigan. And uh, it's a program that Kirk Ferentz, I think, is in his 18th year. The uh, blueprint has kind of been the same, kind of a pro-style mixed offense. Uh, mm-hmm. Run the ball this season is their strength, but he's had some good quarterbacks there over the years too. But uh, it's a good matchup, and there will be many Iowans in the stands. I read where in Outback Bowl history, Iowa tends to – sell the most tickets from the Big Ten. So while we thought this might be a Nebraska-Florida matchup, I'm sure the Outback Bowl looked at those Iowa fans and the way they love to come down to Tampa and said, hey, you know what, let's let's go with Iowa. I often look at a bowl, Adam, as while it's the end of a season and everyone talks about the momentum that it carries over, it's kind of like a preview of coming attractions or or like a bridge to the, to the next season because mm-hmm. so much is happening, whether it's you start thinking about – players that are going to commit to the National Football League or go out. There's, there's going to be some players that, that aren't going to be able to play for eligibility concerns. And there's coaching changes, obviously, and they've already had one with the promotion of Randy Shannon to defensive coordinator. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, this is a guy who's going to step in for the bowl game and run the defense uh, in the wake of Jeff Collins' departure to become Temple head coach. And really a pretty smooth move staff-wise. Uh, Randy Shannon has a lot of experience running defenses, uh, ran the defense at Miami before he became head coach, won a national championship down there as defensive coordinator, and, uh, you know, really has come up on the defensive side. He's, he was co-coordinator with Collins, so the defense isn't going to look a lot different under Shannon. They're still going to play the same scheme and the aggressive nature like they have under Collins, and, you know, it's going to be an interesting challenge for the defense because uh, 
Iowa is good at running the ball. Mm-hmm. Florida is good against the run. And, you know, that could be a very big part of where this game's determined. Well, I think to some degree it's strength on strength. If you look for easy storylines to pull from these bowl matchups, you've got a dominant offensive line and a great running game against a team that really is rooted in their defensive line, their linebackers, albeit a little bit depleted. That's where a lot of the Gator strength is as well. And I would imagine, uh, Scott and Adam, a guy like Jared Davis, this is going to be a really, really meaningful game for him because he's operating the last, what, uh, four games of the season probably at 70%, you think? Yeah. Playing under circumstances with that ankle that probably a lot of players would not have played. But, I mean, the guy is an absolute warrior, senior I've talked about, I think, on these podca- on this podcast before, how he sat in the bowels of the Georgia Dome last year after losing to Alabama mm-hmm. and saying, I, I'm not going out like this. I want another chance. He got another chance, didn't accomplish what he set out to do. This will be his last game. He'll probably be playing like his helmet's on fire. So uh, some guys like that, obviously, let's call it like it is also. It's going to be Jalen Tabor's last game. It's going to be Quincy Wilson's last game. It's going to be uh, uh, Caleb Brantley's last game. All these guys are being projected as first-round picks. There's Todd McShay's latest mock draft has all four of those guys going in the first round off wow. Florida's defense. It's hmm. just phenomenal uh, uh, skill set of all these guys. So you think about bowl games, you always want to win that last one and take that positive energy and stuff. But you do remember guys walking off the field after bowl wins. And that's a special kind of memory. It's something you can take with you. And I'm not sure how much momentum it builds into the offseason going into spring and going into recruiting and all that kind of thing because I've known some programs who have gotten killed in bowl games and had phenomenal recruiting mm-hmm. seasons. So, um, But you do feel good walking off the field, and your fans feel better leaving that stadium after a win. Uh, Urban Meyer, his last game was that Penn State-Joe Paterno game, and uh, everyone knew that that was over. You know, Muschamp right. was coming in and all that stuff. But at the End same, of an era type yeah, stuff. Yeah, but it, I just remember there was a lot of positivity at that time when down in Tampa. So maybe Jim McElwain, go down to Tampa in your home state. Uh, we talked on our last podcast, Adam, about the quarterback situation and mm-hmm. with the pros and cons of putting a freshman in that position. So – what Florida's going to do, you know, you're going to you're going to chuck Appleby out there. I imagine Scott that uh, Luke Del Rio will be at the ready if mm-hmm. needed. That's the plan. But this is uh, Austin at Appleby's game against a, a Big Ten opponent that he probably knows a little bit about. So um, I don't see him chucking the ball all over the field. It's going to be run against great defense, run against great defense, and uh, you know we'll see what happens after that. A lot of people talk about bowl games and the ones that aren't in the playoff, and they say, oh, well, the, the bowl game doesn't matter. I think if you put this in context for Florida, it really does mean something. Even talking to Joey Ivey earlier on this podcast, they remember what happened last year against Michigan. Fans remember, too, the way that last season ended with three consecutive losses. And if the story stays the same this year, it's the same thing. So I think this is a really meaningful game for Florida when you consider that. Just the need for some positivity after getting blown out back-to-back games. You don't want the same thing to happen that happened last year where you get blown out your last three games and you go into the offseason with that feeling. No doubt, Adam. It's a very important game, I think, especially for your fan base, uh, for the recruiting uh, cycle that's you know going to be wrapping up shortly after the game. You don't. You never want to lose a, in the season with the loss. You certainly don't want to, in Florida's case, to have a basically deja vu happen, you know, mm-hmm three losses in a row at the end of the season, exactly like last year. That Michigan game was – it was just an ugly performance, one of the worst, you know, Florida's had in a the long time. The word embarrassed time. was tossed around a lot after yes, that game. Yes, uh, Jim McElwain's used that word. Uh, players have used that. And one thing that his goal is to do uh, during this practice for the game is to make sure these guys are invested. 
he felt like some of the guys maybe last year checked out in terms of thinking more about the NFL draft or whatever. Mm-hmm. They're going to have the same situation. A lot of guys are going to be in that draft, but you got some business here to clean up before you, you really turn your focus to that. That's part of his message. And uh, if you're a player, who wants to play their last college game and get blown out? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, that's something you are going to remember. And uh, those players on last year's team, those seniors or guys who left for the draft, that's going to be there forever. The guys who are still back and have another chance, they can they can end with a win, and that should be one of their top priorities. And that's going to do it for our final show of 2016. We hope you have a safe and happy new year, and don't forget to catch the Gators and Hawkeyes in the Outback Bowl on January 2nd at 1 o'clock on ABC and the Gator IMG Sports Network. We'll be back next week to start bringing you exclusive player interviews and analysis from Florida basketball, so make sure to join us. Until next time, I'm Adam Schick, and I'll see you in 2017.